0: What is up, beautiful Dynasty Leaguers? Welcome back to the Dynasty Dynamic. I'm your host, Max Cascons, joined by the man who loves the tight end position more than anyone I can think of, aka the Run DMC, aka Mr. Dan McAuliffe, and by the man who says that milk is never a good choice. I'm talking about at DFF Moose, aka Mr. Mike McAuliffe. Gentlemen, I am tired tonight gonna need you to carry the show how we doing
1: not too bad max you looking to carry a show we can help you out we'll bring the energy (laughs) we'll keep it uh keep it up tempo here try and keep it quick for people especially knowing that we're gonna be talking tight ends uh i'll take my usual 45 minute spiel try and condense it down to about two minutes for you that work
2: (laughs) does that work for you mike oh it works for me man no i'm definitely i'm excited to talk about some tight ends talk about some uh wide receivers it's been I know this is the second time, second show in a row that I'm bringing up baseball, but it's been quite the demoralizing day for us baseball fans, and it has given me a much greater appreciation for Roger Goodell. Uh, so we definitely don't have the worst of the worst commissioners in all of major league sports. I'll at least say that. So this is very true. Yeah. So at least we're gonna Sometimes have. Sometimes you don't season. have to be the best. <laughs> Sometimes you just don't be the worst. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so no, ready to talk some talk some uh, tight ends and wide receivers.
0: Ready to talk some real sports. Oh, that is God. the last baseball mention that we will have on. The- <laughs> well, Let's hey, talk about the real <laughs> Athletes. This is in a, a the room. real
1: three strikes you're out situation. Michael. Yeah, you mentioned it twice so far on the podcast. If I'm not mistaken, three <laughs> strikes. You're literally, out. I think that's fair enough. And I, I will say, baseball
2: <laughs> can't be deemed a real sport if there's no frickin' games. So let's. Exactly. Uh, with it's that being true. said, I will, I will uh, ta- stop the baseball talk from here on out. I promise.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so tonight should hopefully be a short show if we can contain Dan's enthusiasm for the position. So that is. Uh, the weight of the world is on my and Mike's shoulders right now. But um, before we jump into things real quick, Tweet of the Week, at ZcantsFF. Uh, and normally we don't talk about Tweet of the Week. We just kind of post it and throw it in the show description. But Dan, this one is a little near and dear to your heart. Melvin Gordon having some good talks with uh, Broncos GM George Patton. A little cheaper in Dynasty. We buying? We buying if Javante Williams is a little cheaper?
1: No oh, baby. Absolutely. First of all, being able to buy during this time, I I I valued him honestly throughout this whole period with the assumption that Melvin Gordon's gonna be back. Personally, I think he skyrocketed up to like crazy levels with the uh, automatic assumption for some reason for that he's gone after the season that he had. He was great. And people, that's just for anyone who's a Javante fan out there. Don't go digging on uh, Melvin Gordon just because you love Javante Williams. They can both be great RBs. I know you want to see Javante get the rock a million times, as do I. But having a veteran presence of a very well accomplished running back who's going to sit beside this guy and help him become a better running back in the process and also hopefully take a little bit of the load off of him. You see, sometimes the career is going to go off the rails real early. If, uh, if you don't have someone who's going to kind of share the load, must say Javante Williams, super young. You have him go through. He basically in a, a, another year from now, he's going to be coming uh, into that season. The same that like Najee Harris came into the leak uh, for his age. So, be willing to wait on him. He's basically given you two years of buffer for waiting to be able to get to an average age that you're seeing a lot of other running backs come into the league. So be patient, enjoy this time and hopefully hope that he grows with Melvin Gordon there Bye, Javante Williams. I'm done.
0: Dan already going down narrative street on the show, talking about a veteran presence. It'll be good. Absolutely. You know, love notes it. From Melvin Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> um, But but that is not why we're here tonight. I I did want to quickly mention it because I know Dan loves Javante. But um, we're here tonight to do part two of our uh, rookie evaluations and kind of talking about some of the things that we look for and like to discuss about these prospects. So let's kick it off with Dan's favorite position, the tight end position. But we are not starting with Dan because (laughs) the number one thing you want to look at is the body of work and there is nobody better to talk about than mr mike so mike (laughs) talk to us about the tight ends and their body of work at the college level
2: totally yeah so i mean tight ends you know every year as a dynasty player when you're going through your rookie drafts it's really every single year you're only going to see anywhere from from two to four guys coming out that year that are going to be relevant in the first um you know if you're doing a three-round rookie draft or a four-round rookie draft that's really what you're working with there so you kind of have this laid in front of you and you have to decide, you know, obviously you have your clear-cut front runners like your Kyle Pitts, but that's just going to be the consensus, consensus um, front frontrunner uh, in any rookie draft. But really, you have to decide, are you going to be the kind of guy that's going to value the, the metrics and the size and the athleticism, or are you going to be the kind of person that's going to look towards college production? Personally, when I'm making these decisions and picking a player uh, that I think is going to be worth a draft pick, for my um, dynasty draft that year, I'm going to be looking at what did they do for their college football team? You know, I want to see guys that are heavily involved in the offense. I want to see guys that, uh, you know, during their uh, career, you're going to have the guys that either consistently had um, production throughout all three or four years of of their, um, you know, college stay. Uh, And you're going to have some guys that had breakout years. But it's important to me that I'm seeing guys that have the potential to rack in Around five plus receptions per game, showing that they're a focal point in their offense. You know, we talk about guys like Hunter Long. One of the reasons we liked him uh, coming out is because at BC he was so incredibly heavily used in their offense. Um, another reason, another guy that I liked uh, coming out of Dayton uh, a couple of years ago was Adam Troutman. And you know, the jury's still out on him. He, this could be a huge year for him coming up with the Saints. Um, so those are two guys, perfect examples of guys. That showed that they were perfect, uh, you know, target uh, target hogs, really reliable hands. That's very important to me too. Is catch rate, uh, guys that are going to be reliable, because these guys only have a certain amount of opportunities per game. They're not wide receivers going out there getting ten plus targets a game. Um, obviously, college production is not going to tell the whole story by any means. There's going to be um, certain guys that excel in college that are going to be misses. There's going to be guys that such as George Kittle, who really never had any sort of breakout year in college, guys like Travis Kelsey, who didn't really break out until their last year. Um, So you can't be so all in on the stats telling the whole story. Also, it's very important to be able to take in the context of what offense were they playing in. A perfect example of that would be Dawson Knox at Ole Miss. You know, he did not have these numbers that were jumping off the page whatsoever But you got to factor in the fact that he was playing with DK Metcalf and AJ Brown during his time there. So it's just very important to be able to put that into perspective and noticing that, you know, in the end, it might not be the most uh, telling factor in uh, indicating tight end success in the NFL. But for me personally... It definitely is something that I need to see to be able to press draft on a guy and you know it's important to when you're looking at stats like breakout age it is very nice to see um, you know a guy at the tight end position breaking out and it's nice to look for guys like that but it's also not very common to see so you can't you can't rely on that too heavily because you know there's there's very few tight ends that are going to be the focal point um, of a college offense so I think that's that's where I stand. I like to see the college production, but I know that you guys like to look at some other things here. So what do you all have to say?
0: I love it, Mike. I love your last point too, because there are so many good tight ends that we want in Dynasty right now that never even break out. So yep. it is always nice to see a high breaka- a breakout age. I know Dan loves that for yep. basically any position under the sun. But uh, that's not what Dan's going to talk about tonight. I think Dan's leaning a little bit more uh, – show me what you can do in the weight room. So, Dan, why don't exactly. you talk to me a little bit about that type of uh that type of player?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I love Titan just because they are just like the almost outcast outliers, uh, when it comes to just the fantasy world in general, uh, you're always kind of looking for these diamonds in the rough. And, and when you're talking about like outliers and, and outcasts, there, it's also because of just they're just such a different breed. They are the big hosses when it comes to uh, a an NFL offense. They're just absolute Titans. And so being able to look at the type of uh, of body work, as Mike said, what they were able to accomplish, what makes it like, just as exciting as, like, just how big these dudes are and how much of a great asset they can be for an NFL team. So the first thing I'm going to address here is the size, right? I've, I've kind of mentioned they're the titans of, a, of an offense there, and they're huge. I mean, we're basically looking for some guys that are able to really be uh, – around like six foot four, I think, or above is typically kind of around that threshold is what we'd look for. And same thing for about 250 pounds, uh, or above is typically what we're looking for there. There are other ones that we see succeed, uh, and we're a little shorter, uh, and a little lighter, but that's probably what I'd say the archetype is for the typical, uh, tight end one that we're going to be looking for there. Um, but along with that, if you're going to have that size, the thing that is super, super important is that's paired with absolute athleticism uh, because you're not talking about being like an offensive lineman out there. We need you being able to do some of the things that an offensive lineman could do, block, etc. We'll talk about some of that stuff later, but we need you to be an absolute playmaker. So at that size, do you have the speed, the burst, and the agility to be a playmaker out there? Um, So one person example again, tossing out a few um, different names here. So Mike Gusecki is a poster child for this. I mean, when we're looking at all the different stats that we want to be able to see when it comes to athleticism and just overall strength, uh, he checks all the boxes. We basically got a guy who's 6'6". 247 pounds and he was 95th percentile across all categories he was someone that was of that stature had that size but also had this insane athletic quality to him that would just made him super attractive and we've seen that translate well I believe in looking back over the past two years we've seen him be a top 12 uh tight end over the past um two years I think he was like uh, in PPR, he was uh, tight end 11 and I believe tight end 9. So that stuff translates super well because you basically become an awesome weapon, uh, especially in teams that are maybe lacking in some of the wide receiving or running back weapons. You become a nice focal point of some of the offense there. Um the big thing that I always end up looking for with these types of big dudes uh, is you're going to find a lot of them get um, this big slot archetype, which is going to allow them to be just an absolute monster uh, ma- matchup when you're going against some defenses there. If you're lining up there a lot, I find you get a lot of opportunities for just extra uh, pass uh, attempts and receptions. Uh, and you just usually get really great matchups against, uh, you're not getting your. Uh, top defenders or cornerbacks there you're getting one that you know you're just going to be dominating over the field so I like to find those guys who fit that big archetype and then also fit that kind of team structure where that's where you're going to get a lot of your your slot usage there Um, but that's kind of the the prototype of a uh, of a tight end Um, what would you guys say is there anything else that you guys are kind of looking for when it comes to size athleticism uh, at the tight end position
0: I think the athleticism thing is big. Um, One piece that I have found success with over the years and going back way further than my dynasty career, the NFL has found success with is like converted athletes from other sports. Right. So having a basketball background, right. Jimmy Graham was one of those. Antonio Gates was like a power forward at Kent state back in the day. Um, I think that's another real great aspect of just being able to box people out at the catch point and stuff like that that translates really well so when you're going into the bargain bin as I tend to do at the position Dan uh, the mo alley coxes of the world for or sure the uh, or the athletic even even size outliers like a Donald Parham right on the yep. chargers like those are the kind of cool things that I like to look for um Mike anything to add there because I do have a couple points I want to round this out with if not.
2: No, I think you guys covered it. I don't want to take up more
0: time. Mike doesn't want to talk about signings anymore. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> so, wait, can we talk couple- about baseball already? No. <laughs> <laughs> Movon signed baseball, Mike. All you have to do is admit he Lamb's the top five guys. I'm holding out.
2: I'm holding out for the time being.
0: You would hold out. Exactly. So draft capital is an interesting one to to talk about here. I mean... Day two or better, right? And again, I think the the signs that you guys mentioned are still more of the things that I'm looking for. Like, even as a professed draft capital snob, like, I mean, you saw Mark Andrews and Dawson Knox go in the late third. Dalton Schultz, who's now climbing up dynasty boards, was a fourth rounder. George Kittle was a fifth rounder. Um, draft capital, not as important. I do think one of the things that, you know, is inherent with what Dan was talking about, the size, is the blocking prowess, right? Because some of the problems with these guys that do find their way into that big slot archetype and lack the blocking ability is they're just not going to be on the field as much as some of these other guys. And when you're not on the field, you're not getting targets and when you're not getting targets, everybody's tight end premium team suffers. So sure. I think that's another one. And you know, none of us are grinding the film looking at college uh, blocking for tight end. So this is something that I typically rely on some of the scouting reports, smart people in the industry but having somebody that is a true, has the size, like Dan mentioned, has the athleticism and has the blocking. I mean, that's the player that checks all the boxes. And then yeah. to Mike's point, if they also produced heavily in college, those are the guys that I'm looking at. Um, I'd say one other thing to look out for, and this is maybe, uh, maybe I'm infringing on Dan's narrative street a little bit here, but, you know, pay attention to the team that they're drafted by, right? Right. I liked Albert Akui Boonham a whole lot when he was coming into the NFL, but he got drafted behind Noah Fant by like a year or two. Right. So that's probably not going to be a situation. I know Philadelphia Eagles, uh, Dallas Goddard truthers have been waiting like five years for Zach Ertz to finally go somewhere. Mm -hmm. Right. So where they're drafted, because it's kind of similar to the running back position where you're not really, you know, you have one guy, it's not like wide receiver where they're spreading them four wide. Yeah. You know, there's only so many touches to go around and you don't really see backup tight ends producing in an offense too, too much. Um, and that just rolls into competition for targets, which can also be something on the team. So unless I forgot something, gentlemen, I'd say we move on to hopefully what what Mike, you know, we draw your interest back in with this one. Let's talk <laughs> a little right. bit about wide
1: receiver. <laughs> Perfect.
0: And Dan, I'll let you kick it off talking about what you look for with these guys at the college level and how they produce there.
1: Yeah. So once again, uh, we're going to kick off with college production. Uh, I, I think we all agree that that is probably one of the biggest things that we have in our overall consideration for a player and a prospect and giving us some of the context we need uh, to at least understand where they fit uh, in the uh, upcoming NFL draft. So first thing we're going to kind of take a look at is college dominator. College dominator is extremely helpful in taking a look at at a kind of proportion based uh, kind of metric of the total market share that a certain uh, wide receiver has on their team when it comes to the receiving and that's usually going to be both the receiving yards and touchdowns so how overall impactful if you were to take a look at the entire team's accomplishments for that year, what slice of the pie did that wide receiver contribute and the overall effectiveness there. And of course, the higher that number, the more impactful they were for that team. So typically what I want to see, uh, I, and we'll kind of get into this a little bit more as we go to some of the actual prospects, I like seeing one uh, a 30% or above. That means you're, you're, you basically have garnered one third of uh, your team's total offensive production and have really made an impact there so it's definitely helpful to, in identifying those uh, who are super dynamic or those that were just absolute dominant alphas there going further down the line with that idea of college dominator in mind There's this idea of age adjusted production, which is basically taking it one step further and being like, when did you reach a certain threshold by a certain age that showed how dominant you were for your team? Because the earlier you do this in your career, I think has a higher propensity for showing impact uh, later in your NFL career. So to define it, just for those who might not know, breakout age is basically going to be the season where they first posted a dominator rating of 20% or above. So it's again, it's maybe they haven't reached that 30% that we're looking for as aggregate for their college career, but it's when they made that first big stamp that they were a big producer on their team. So that is super helpful to take a look at because then you're going to start to see those who started to make an impact on their team at an earlier age. So your freshmen and your sophomores. That's kind of why we look for an age of like 18 and 19. If you get up to 20, that's again, we've seen plenty of people, uh, wide receivers have higher um, breakout ages and still succeed tremendously so it's not an absolute preclusion that that's going to be a need for them but that's what i like to see to really kind of get excited about them as a prospect early on because it means they walked on in their freshman year alongside probably some other great competition especially if you're in like sec etc and made an impact right then and there uh, with guys who are probably going to be going into the nfl in the next year or two uh if they're early declaring there so it's just a, it's a really helpful metric to, again, just add some context beyond just touchdowns or just receiving yards, et cetera, and really look at how the team is structured and how they made an impact on there. The last thing when it comes to like college production metrics that we wanted to be able to call out is yards per reception. Uh, and this is super helpful in just taking a look at, were they just getting peppered with a whole bunch of kind of quick uh, shot receptions uh, in like the slots or kind of slants or things like that, or were they really making plays? And that can either be you're making a play if you are darting down the field and being able to catch a 60-yard bomb, or if you are catching these shorter passes, are you able to break through uh, the line and then carry it an extra 35 yards? So those are the types of true playmakers that you want to see, not just being involved um over and over again and having a certain amount of like target share but also being able to really do something with those targets above and beyond that are just going to translate to hopefully explosive fantasy plays that are going to help rack up some points for you uh when it comes to building your dynasty team so those are some guys like, of course, we always say we're looking for that next Tyree kill, the guy that we're going to be able to throw an ADR bomb to and just know he's going to take it to the house. And conversely, uh, when it comes to Yak, it's like a Debo Samuel, someone who like perpetually he was being dinged for time and time again. Uh, his average average depth of target was sometimes negative. (laughs) It was like behind the line of scrimmage so many times, but he was an absolute monster because once he got the ball in his hands, he was just an absolute beast. So those are extra bits of context but again, you want to take it one step further and take a look at how they were being used and what type of threat they are, because those are two very different things. But if they're built to succeed in those um, kind of lanes, it can be an absolute win when it comes to drafting them for your fantasy team. So those are kind of the three big metrics that we, uh, at least myself, um, highly value when it comes to college production. Um, what about you guys? Anything else that you would like to add here or just extra context around it?
0: we are on the same page, my friend. And I think especially your last point um, for me, dynasty is a game of efficiency. uh, Right. And I talked about that a lot when we did the quarterback breakdown um, last episode, but it's a whole lot more impressive to me. If somebody has a 1500 yard season on 75 catches than 150 catches. Right. And I will say there are some people that would argue that the guys that win in you know the world of air yards—I uh, use some air quotes there—we're a podcast should probably break that habit—but who uh, <laughs> win in the world of air yards versus yak uh, might be a little bit more sticky. I don't really care. To your point, I want playmakers. I want people that know how to make it happen, whether it's catching it and you know dragging their toes fifteen feet down the field or fifteen yards down the field, or catch it at the line of scrimmage and making three dudes miss to go pick up fifteen yards. Exactly. I don't care. So I love that point. Um, Mike, the flip side of this, if you don't have anything to add is Mm -hmm. kind of how the NFL starts to value these guys, right? So many wide receivers coming in every single year. Talk to me a little bit about how the NFL value these guys, these guys and where they played in school and how you factor that into your evaluations.
2: Yeah, totally. I, I mean, I guess I can just start it off with just the overall topic of, of draft capital. Where were these guys actually taken in the NFL draft? Um, we talked about quarterbacks uh, last week where obviously that's extremely important to their future success in the NFL. Um, running backs definitely becoming a little bit less uh, so the case and tight ends, as we referenced, uh, you know, earlier in the podcast. You'll find plenty of, of solid guys going in the third round, fourth round. Um, but, you know, for for these wide receivers, day one or day two draft capital is definitely going to be ideal the drop off that you see um, from guys that are going in those earlier rounds to um, the guys that are going in, you know, the, the fourth, fifth rounds, that the opportunity share, the you know, um, the willingness of of teams to give them more time on the field, it's definitely going to uh go down further, the, the further away you get from those first couple rounds, obviously you're going to have your outliers. You got guys like uh, the Cooper Cup, for example, was a third-round pick. Obviously, it's a day-two pick, but still uh, uh, Tyree Stephon Kill. Stephon Diggs, great yep. example. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Tyree Kill, absolutely. Tyree Kill, fifth-round pick. So you're going to have your outliers here, but it's definitely a very good indicator for wide receivers of where they're going in the NFL draft. And even beyond that, something that's very important to keep in context is when are these guys actually declaring for the draft? Um, you know, you want to be able to see these guys not sometimes if 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 it takes these guys four years in their, um, you know, at their at their college to start putting up some serious numbers that can be alarming. And I just I think it is fitting to pull up um, a tweet that we were referencing from uh, the great Rich Rebar. Um, he has a great one here. Um, on this topic, where he says uh, non-early declare wide receivers selected in the first round over the past decade. This is going to be a list for you. So, Corey Davis, Josh Doxon, Devontae Parker, Kevin White, Philip Dorsett, Tavon Austin, Kendall Wright, AJ Jenkins, and Michael Floyd combined two top twenty-four uh, finishes amongst those guys. Two two hundred point uh, PPR seasons. Uh, it's a combined 43 seasons play be- between those guys. So, you know, it's definitely a big indicator and a little bit more alarming to see um, guys going super high when they did not declare early. They weren't showing early on that they were a super high talent. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. Absolutely. Along with this um, and, you know, keeping on the vein of keeping everything in context, uh, it's very important to just, Keep in mind that their what did their team look like? The team that they were on in college, what did their team scheme look like? Were they running the ball a ton? Were they actually giving their wide receivers more opportunity? Um, You know, really every single game, there's only 35 to 45 pass attempts to go around any given game. So guys can only do so much with that, especially you have to keep in mind who were these guys playing alongside on their team in college. Um, You know, we always, I like to fall back on the old Miss example with Elijah Moore and DK and AJ Brown, but it's just true. You have to, you know, when you're evaluating these guys, and again, like I like to say, a lot of these types of tips come into play when you're getting into the the second round, late second round, early third round of drafts, where you're trying to decide between guys that are very similar, looking at these contextual things, uh, as far as, you know, what the situation was for them during their college experience is very, very important in making, you know, make or break decisions in your dynasty teams.
0: Yeah. The, it's so interesting that uh non early declares in the first round, Mike. And as I'm doing my rankings over here, I am getting very concerned about Chris Alave and his <laughs> prospects after mm. you rattled off yep. a bunch of those names for sure. And You know, funny enough, sometimes these guys play their hands correctly. Uh, I remember somebody made this point, albeit not at the wide receiver position, but Najee Harris and Travis Etienne both went back for an extra year to not come out in that Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor draft class. Right. So these guys are out for themselves. They're trying to make some money, but it is so interesting that it is such a signal at that point. And before I jump into one of my favorite pieces of the cherry on top for the wide receiver position, Dan, I want to circle back and put you on the hot seat because oh. <laughs> I've been texting you guys for 18 months about Arkansas absolute man among boys, Traylon Burks, and I'm just so interested to get your thoughts because 92nd percentile college dominator accounted for basically half of the Arkansas offense. Are you willing to overlook his 20.5 breakout age? Dan, I want to hear you. I want to hear you answer this on the podcast right now.
1: Absolutely. Nope. I mean, he's Did you use these things. We've used the word context probably about 500 times on this podcast and rightfully so, right? Because, and there's no full right answer with one metric. That's going to predict it all. Um, I would rather take that type of production that you're seeing there in a slightly later breakout age than an absolute stellar breakout age. Again, our beloved Brian Edwards has yet to come to be right. And, and that's Listen, literally the metric. He broke the metric and he hasn't been able to produce where he needs to now. So there's always um, flaws in every bit of metric. But seeing a dominator like that, I will gladly excuse breakout age.
0: That's all I wanted you to say. That's all I wanted. Uh, and I mean, we do have the prospect for you in this draft too. And I'm having a very hard time, just peek behind the curtain right now as I'm, as I'm pulling these rankings together. I'm having a hard time not putting Drake London at two. And you mm. want to talk about somebody who's getting close to that Brian Edwards territory, 99th percentile. Yeah, that is uh, on Drake it's, London. It's pretty spicy. So this is a fun and deep wide receiver draft class, but already took us too far off the rails. I'm going to round it out with, I think, two key points here. And one of them is just kind of size and stature, right? Um, it's a lot of the time, this kind of determines what role you are probably destined to play in the NFL. And I think the three of us would agree that all other things equal, we want the number one wide receiver in any offense, right? Obviously, Dan, you've quoted you know some slot targets and their value over the years. And you can, with great efficiency from the slot, you can absolutely make that up. You know, Keenan Allen has made a career doing that. But for me... I want the guys that can play inside, outside, all over the field, that true X receiver. And they're they're typically six feet around that six foot mark yep. or taller, um, you know, 200 pounds or heavier. You're start, starting to see the college game give us kind of these little shorter, little leaner kind of guys versus the, uh, the DK Metcalfs and the LaVisca's and mm-hmm. the AJ Browns coming in. But I do like to see, you know, prototypical alpha size when I can swing it. And then also body mass index, right? These guys are taking huge hits at the NFL level. So, you know, BMI, I think is an important context. You know, that was one of the big knocks on Devonta Smith and his potential success at the NFL level. You know, he was, I believe about right at that six foot threshold, but with the weight, there's just so much, there's only so much contact you can absorb at the NFL level before you have a higher propensity for injury. So size stuff, I'm all about the trail on Burks. Give me those guys. Give me the Drake London's. Give me the AJ Brown's. Give me the LaVisca. I still love you LaVisca. I'm keeping the flame (laughs) lit for LaVisca Chenault. Um, As you should. But easily, I think the most fun cherry on top of these wide receiver profiles is just the dynamism that you can see that you don't always get to see at other positions, right? We know running backs are going to be two-way players, right? They're going to grind up the middle. They're going to catch some passes, with wide receivers there's so many other ways that they put these guys to use taking carries out of the backfield typically they're those guys that are reserved for those you know kick return punt return duties and occasionally they even let the guys throw a pass so wanted to talk about some of my favorite examples of this because i don't think that you should just value somebody based on their special teams contribution but when it's looking at a good profile, all the things Dan outlined, all the things Mike outlined, right? They're checking these boxes of production. They are breaking out. They're declaring early. They're getting the draft capital. And then, Oh, you want to tell me that Sammy Watkins had eight or 900 return yards while sharing a field with Deandre Hopkins in one of the best freshman seasons we've ever seen. That makes me love these guys even more. So Randall Cobb's another great example, Brandon Cooks, Tyreek Hill, somebody, I mean, there was obviously some off the field issues when he was coming out of college too, but in general, you know, somebody who was a monster in special teams and that guaranteed him snaps on game day early in his chief's career, right? Got him on the field. So dynamism for me is one of these super fun Cherry's on top. You know, Debo Samuel, another player who's just so dynamic at the college level, able to take the handoffs and produce on special teams as well. And again, I can't mention Traylon Burks enough. The guy was returning punts and kicks at 230 pounds his freshman year in Arkansas. Yeah. So... um Gentlemen, I will open it up for you guys because as a special teams connoisseur, if there's any players that come to mind for you that fit that mold and was that extra cherry on top of the production at the college level, let me know because these, these are my guys. Those, those are the things I want to see checking the boxes.
1: I, I honestly, I like it, especially because of just what we've seen in changes to the NFL and the way that they're using wide receivers now right like they that's almost something just like we were talking about the games changing for quarterbacks and you need that rushing upside like now we're starting to see Debo say like even five years ago we weren't seeing like the Debo Samuels of the world being used in the way that they could at like the NFL level right and hopefully is going to pave the uh, pathway for other guys like LaVisca etc so I think dynamism is huge in just making sure you can get on the field in any way possible in the most creative ways. And this is, it's hard to fully quantify, but I think it's an X factor that you need to look for in some of your alpha wide receivers that you're drafting in the first round. How are you
0: going to do me like this, Dan? How are you going to, I'm hosting the podcast. I tee it up for you. The Tyler boy dynamism at pitch <laughs> right there <laughs> sitting in front of you They were giving him (laughs) passing attempts at Pitt as a freshman. And you're just gonna say I agree and pretend like Tyler Boyd doesn't exist. Uh, you know what? Sometimes I we thought, don't I like to brag about then.
1: him. <laughs> don't don't always like to brag about him. But you're right. Fair. I uh, another another chance where Tyler Boyd can be boasted as one of the better wide receivers in the league. Thank you very See, much for doing my I, for
2: me there. I prefer to have my wide receivers be actual quarterbacks in college, aka Julian Edelman. <laughs> that's that's, that's what are, I the, look the quarterback. For so X you're saying you're
0: saying that there's still hope for Lynn Bowden? Yes. Oh, I, I, think, I believe
2: that. That's what I'm saying here. Yes. That's my point. My, lo- yeah. my yeah. larger point. Crazy dynamism <laughs> score for sure. So i right.
0: <laughs> yeah. I prefer my quarterbacks to have played wide receiver. I'll allow the Ryan Tannehill route But to <laughs> okay, <Nick Foles>. actually <laughs> circle back and, and try to bring this full circle to me, that dynamism, not non-mentions of Tyler Boyd aside. It means that these colleges want to get the ball in this player's hands in any way possible. Right. I I fell into this trap of not recognizing this enough last year. Jalen Waddell was one of the best punt returners in the class. He averaged like 20 yards, not kick return, punt return. Mm -hmm. And I didn't value it enough, right? Seeing the full body of work. So if there's anything I want you to take away from this last bit, starts at the top with everything Dan mentioned, continues with everything Mike mentioned about how the NFL values these guys. But do not overlook the special teams production because oftentimes it guarantees these guys roster spots. It shows that they are just elusive and can make people miss with the ball in their hands. And really, just to me, is the true cherry on top of a beautiful wide receiver profile. Totally agree. I'm seeing head nods. (laughs) Do we have anything to add or did we cover it all and we're getting out of here?
1: I think we covered it all man that was a good good quick run through on some of this stuff uh and excited to now start start putting some uh some of these metrics to actual names uh coming up in the actual drafts here so
0: absolutely the combine kicked off today so very very soon we are going to get the uh validation of perceived athleticism for these guys and if Traylon burks doesn't run a sub four five i'm gonna cry myself to sleep (laughs) so (laughs) getting out of here for today This is the Dynasty Dynamic. You stay classy, Dynasty Leaguers.
1: Thanks for tuning in. Milk
2: was a bad choice.